here we are with Jonna Johnson, the author of two books, Blood, Sweat, Leather and Tears, set around the, the mid-late 70s and uh, his time following Adam and the Ants. Uh, nice to meet you, Jonna. Morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So kind of like when I've read the first book, I've got the second book, so I haven't started reading it yet. But uh, you were quite young when punk first came about. Um, I just left school. Uh, I left school in April 1977. Um, and my introduction to punk rock was at Butlin's Skegness. And we were quite poor. So uh, as a family at that time, because my dad wanted to own his own house and not rent. We had very little money. Um, what we used to do, we used to go on holiday every year, but we used to go to Butlins because they used to have this... They used to open early in the season, pretty much when it was still winter. For people who couldn't afford to go when the sun was out, we used to go at the end of winter. So you're talking probably March, when it's still kind of wintry, uh, but it was a lot cheaper. So we, used to, we went to Butlins, uh, Skegness, in 1977. Uh, I always thought of Butlins like a concentration camp. You could never get out of the place, you know, because I was still a child, basically. You were pretty much locked in, unless you were going out with your parents, you were stuck in there. Anyway, I met this guy from Bradford called Ian James. Uh, and I can't remember, it was during the day, where I, I was mulling about and I, we got talking and he says, that we you know, found out we were both from Bradford. And I says, what do you do? He says, oh, I'm, I'm the, I also DJ as well. He had a J, d job during the day, but he DJed at night. And he was telling me about punk rock. He says, come down tonight and I'll play some records. So I went down there at night. And there were a few people jumping about to kind of, you know, pop records of the time. And Ian, and there were two, there was a couple from Peterborough. And they just looked fantastic. They had all the homemade punk gear on it, you know. Uh, which would have been pretty basic at that time. Kind of combination of safety pins, makeup all over the face, scraggly hair. And, you know, and homemade T-shirts with zips on and stuff like that. And at that point, there was very few punk records. I think there was about, I don't even think there were half a dozen. There were Anarchy in the UK, The Damned, uh, Stranglers probably had a single out. I think The Boys had a single out as well. And, and there were probably a couple of other ones. I can't remember what. Anyway, the, at some point in the evening, he got it, when it's time to play these punk records, he kind of signaled me to, that, that it was going to happen. And the first one was The Damned. And as soon as I heard that opening bar, she really going out with him. And then the drums kicked in. I just went, oh, this is this is it, and I just jumped up and down. I didn't know really, I didn't know what to do. I wasn't even sure I was aware of punk rock at that point, and I just kind of followed what they were doing, and they were like just jumping around all over the all over. The, and so I just jumped around with them, and I just thought, I just thought this is fantastic. And they played about four or five records, and that were it done. And uh, we met afterwards uh, once the DJ had finished, and they asked me what I thought. I thought it was fantastic particularly the damn record, just that opening line, as soon as the yeah. drums kicked in. And that was it. As soon as I got back off my holidays, air were cut off. All my trousers were taken in. You know, I started stenciling T-shirts and stuff like that, like, much to my mum and dad's dismay, wondered what the hell I was. Um, and they kept trying to talk me out of it, but I just wouldn't have it. We, you know, we started, because I didn't want to upset them, and it was clearly upset. I used to hide my clothes in a bag outside, and then I'd get changed outside in my mate's garage and that, that was the introducer and then Ian, Ian after that holiday season Ian actually came back to Bradford and we became firm friends he ended up being a, a mod in 78 which I could never understand I mean I, I remember having the conversation with these little mods and they were going oh we want to do something new I said well it's not new is it oh his mods new it's been you know it was out in the 60s he's not new about mods but anyway they hung around with the punks and they were all great friends but that was my introduction to punk rock and I went back to school and uh, we got kicked out of school for, and stuff for doing that uh, once we left school it was you know I mean there was no real punk scene at that point in Bradford the, the punks there was a few punks in 76 they used to go in a place called the sun which is now a gay bar I'm not sure it was a gay bar back then uh, and it got it got trashed by the teddy boys and the, there was a lad at the bottom of our street called Steve who was hospitalized for quite a while and it it, it, it didn't come out for about three years after that. It had a really bad effect on him. So they killed the scene and, and um, we didn't really have an home. Nobody really knew each other. But as the summer progressed, we had the damned in the adverts played and the lurkers played at the unit. 
and little by little more people turned up and we started forging links. And then round about September time, we were told about a place called Queen's Hall, or MAC as it was known, which was a student union for the college. Uh, and, we, and it was an heavy rock disco. So we used to, but everyone, all the outsiders used to go down there. So we went down there and it was great. It was 33p for a pint of lager. I don't know why I remember that. But, so we'd take a couple of quid out for us to play five punk records throughout at some point in the evening. And it was great. And that's, that's how punk rock started. And we, we adopted a pub around the corner called the Mambo, which, which, which became our home. And let us put all our own punk records on, on the jukebox. In 1977, there was probably about 30 of us. By 1978, there was probably about 100, 150 of us. You know, so it, it blossomed quite quickly. But it, it was it was great days to be alive as a young kid. See, it's, I, I was in 77, I was 10. And uh, I was living in just outside Mansfield, in Sutton and Ashfield. And I remember 77, summer 77, being all about Elvis and way down. You know, and it, it was slowly... Slowly, probably 78 when I started to see punks walking around uh, the street. But at the age of 10, they all looked a bit bit strange, a bit weird, you know. And then there weren't many punks about, really. I don't think. I mean, there were a few, probably a few more in Leeds because they had a bigger university and all that lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, when we used to see other punks in other towns, because we were quite blessed in a way living in Bradford, because we had Leeds on one side, Halifax on the other side, Huddersfield on another side, Keighley on another side, and they all had punk venues. So yeah. you know, if there was, you know, there were plenty of venues. The hardest bit was getting back, getting there, getting back, because there was no bus. Everything finished at half ten. There was no. Leeds was easy because they had a milk train that set up, came back at half at three o'clock in the morning. But but you know we had plenty of choice, and every band played around there at some point. So you know you could see it blossoming. But when we met punks from other places, we, we were just so so happy to see somebody else that looked like us. Because you know we, we, it was the time I clearly remember a little old lady attacking me with a with a umbrella, saying, "Get back to where you come from." I'm going from Bradford to the old. We did. We that. But it kind of, I started to identify what it might be like as a, as a um, even though I grew up in a, a multicultural society, I was, on my street alone, there were Eastern Europeans, Asians, black people, there were all sorts, you know, so I was used to being around them, but I never kind of understood what it might be like to be an immigrant in this country until I became a punk rocker. And then when yeah. you're walking down the street and you could see the fear in people's eyes or the, or the shock or whatever, or the hatred or whatever. And I kind of, th I remember thinking one day, this is what it must be like to, for, for the, you know, these people to come and live in a country that's alien to, we're getting treated like we're alien to, you know, get back to where you come from. It, well, this was one of my neighbours yeah. who, who had grown up, a little old lady who lived two doors away from me. She's actually known me since she's going, what the bloody hell are you these days? Get back to where you come from. It's me with a bloody brother. So, which was the first punk band you went to see live then? Uh, I think it was the Lurkers and the Crabs at um, the Great Hall at University. I think it was around about, I can't remember, May 77 or something. And I always like that Shadow track. They might have even given it out at that gig, I can't remember. Um, they didn't usually put many gigs on at the, uh, the Great Hall. I think the only gigs I can remember seeing there was Gary Glitter played there once. Uh, and the Lurker, I can't remember any of the gigs that played. I'm sure Penetration played there. They usually played the communal building if they played the unit because it was a lot bigger room. Well, actually, yeah. was it? But uh, yeah, the Lurkers, I think the second one was the Damned in the Adverts at George's Hall. You know, all the Teddy boys are outside getting ready to kill us, uh, like they usually do. I mean, Bradford was full of Teds in 1977. Yeah. I mean, they actually used to take coaches to London to fight the punks. You know, there were like 20 or 30 of us, all, and we just left school. A lot of them, well, a lot of them were still at school, you know. And, and, and I was talking, I interviewed with the leader of the Teds not so long ago. And, and after, what is it, we're now 50 years ago, he says, it says, do you know something? I've just realised that when we used to chase you lot around town, he says, we were, we were like in our late 30s and you, you were school kids. He says, exactly. He said, you were just bullying us. 
I remember one incident with this teddy bear because they, they used to wear the fact that we wore drape suits and brothel creepers. That's that's why they hated us. They weren't interested in the music at all. Uh, but a lot of punks wore drape because everyone had family members who had teddy boys in the families or, or or old Teds who didn't wear them anymore. So they'd pass them down and give them to the nephews and cousins and stuff like that. So they'd put safety pins in them. And I remember what, I got followed around town by a family of teddy boys. They were like a teddy boy's wife and two kids. And he was pushing his pram everywhere. Bradford's in the valley, so everything's on hills. Yeah. So he's pushing his pram up this old cobbled street and he's struggling with it. And he's shouting at the street, you punk bastard, you're wearing our clothes and spitting. As he's, spit, as I, as he's saying spitting, he's actually spitting at me. And they're, they're following me up the street to catch it. I'm just totally ignoring him. After a while... I turned around and his two sons were there, which were about 10 years old in the little drape suits. And his dad, the dad had got the pram stuck in the cobbles. He were halfway down the street. And uh, the, the little teddy boys looked behind. I see the dad were half down the street. And, and, and I sort of looked at him wondering, thinking, what, what are you going to do? And, and they, they got a bit embarrassed then and walked off back down to the dad. But we had quite a lot of incidents with Ted's in 77. They were, they were pretty much our nemesis. Because of my connection to football, Leeds United, and I knew all the City fans, we never really got much trouble off the off the off the normal people. Because I yeah. kind of knew them via football. But Ted's were, a, but by '78, there was a lot more of us, and we could look after ourselves a bit better. So, which was the uh, the, the first band, the first punk band from Bradford that formed? First punk band would have been. Ooh, I'm not sure if this is context. Me and Tim Calvin, I know, but friend of mine um, and, 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 and Aki's brother Aki Nawaz's brother we, we formed a, a punk band called Plastic Bucket in the Abortions um, I, I came up with a name it, found, it sounded quite shocking <laughs> it sounds even worse now when I mentioned it the idea we, we didn't do it because we wanted to be musicians I remember us going to a gig in Leeds I can't remember who we were playing but there was loads of fantastic looking punk girls and they were all over the singer and the rest of the band and I think Tim said, oh, we, oh, I love that. Let's start a punk band. So I said, we need a name and we need to... So we actually got to the point where we, we had some rehearsals. I think Aki, Aki, or Aki, um, he booked the church next door to their house on Legroom's Lane. I don't know where the instruments came from because we didn't have it. But we turned up at this, at this rehearsal and there were, no, there were loads of instruments there. We didn't have a clue how to play, even though my dad was a guitarist. And we just tapped around and banged around. And so that's all I remember. I don't know if we were the first, possibly. Anyway, we had two or three rehearsals. Aki seems to think we had a gig, but I don't remember us having any songs. But we did it to pull the birds. We did it for the wrong reason, really. And we, we designed these shirts with plastic bucket and the abortions on the back in big red letters, which, you know, the women hated. So it actually had a reverse effect on ladies. <laughs> I've had God knows where I got that name from Plastic Bucket in the Abortions. I don't know why. I suppose it's a shocking punk name. So it kind of failed what we were trying to do. But I think Aki, Aki, it must have done something to Aki possibly because he went out and made a proper band. Yeah. So uh, I don't, I'm not sure who came first. So we, I, I think the Negatives were the first band. I can clearly remember a Sunday at the Royal Standard and the stage was full of instruments. And whoever, but the, Whoever was supposed to play had pulled out. So everyone had turned up, and for whatever reason, I don't, people just jumped up on stage and started playing instruments or pretending to play. And Dave Wilcox, the singer, uh, jumped up, and there was a live mic, and he started singing to some of it. And uh, Bob Robinson and Pete were in the audience, and the clock, Dave, obviously. You know, he looked like a Sid Vicious type character, you know, plenty of charisma. Um, so they asked, asked him if he wanted to form a band, and that started the negatives. I think Violation, which was Aki's band, came slightly after. I could be wrong, but I think it was slightly after. We also had the, the birth of New Model Army at that point. Yeah. Uh, we, used to walk, we used to hang around Justin and Jules' house in, in the New Cross, and that was always entertaining. I'd known Jules since 1977 when she came to Bradford. Uh, she was at university. She used to go to Max Queen's all night. But she wasn't a punk then. She was a... She was a more of a rock lady, and she used to be married to a guy called Ken, who later became a certain slave. Um, but we used to go around, and I remember Justin was a great lad. I really liked Justin. I'm not sure, I think he, his favourite his favorite bands was Bruce Springsteen and the Roots. 
Um, I don't, I'm not sure whether he would call himself a punk. He certainly loved the punk ethics and the attitudes of punk rock. So he, he certainly took, took something from punk rock. But he kind of liked it. He was more open to more different types of music than we were at that particular time. At that time, I was pretty narrow-minded. I wouldn't entertain anything that wasn't punk rock. I'd stop listening to uh, David Bowie and Pink Floyd, which is what I grew up with. I'd, I'd, I'd deem them pointless as soon as I heard Sex Pistols and that. No, no need to revisit that ever again. Um, you know, and, and, and it's only later that I realised how in that punk years, how, how narrow-minded it actually became musically. Yeah. Uh, to my detriment, it wasn't until sort of 79, 80 when everyone ended up on top of the flops that I started to listen to loads of new stuff, particularly the American punk stuff, which I really loved. I didn't know anything about it initially. And uh, yeah, that's when my mind started opening up to loads of different types of music. Yeah. So it's quite pivotal in the first book is your first trip to London and when you go into uh, sex. Did that oh, actually yeah. happen? Um, the thing with the book is, I think that, I wish I had, and the first Adam and Yanskig, The Man in the Moon, there was nobody there. Very few people were there. There was about 20 people. But because it all got a bit confused with the Pulp Fiction tag, because they wanted to do Pulp Fiction and mainly, uh, they wanted me to do a factual version, but in, 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 in a novel kind of way. Uh, and because they, because they said that it, it was fictional, it felt I could be a bit more, flexible with the truth I suppose I was allowed to and, and everyone would have loved to have been at the Man in the Moon gig so that's why I started it there but by doing that I think it's confused people more because anybody who knows anything about the ants would realise or should realise that there was nobody actually at that Man in the Moon gig but that but the rest of the stuff actually happened but it was another gig you know I'd arranged to meet my friend in London and it wasn't the x-ray specs it was that the ants were supporting the Banshees I can't even remember where it was. I got there late and I walked in and getting ready for the Banshees and my mate was just going mad about Adam and the Ants. And I'm going, it sounds like I've missed the best band in the world here. And he completely forgot about the Banshees and he just, oh, you've got to watch. And because he was a lot older than us in Bradford, you know, he was a hell of a character. He was about five or six years older than us. And so we kind of looked up to him. Um, he was a big black lad with a skunk haircut. Uh, and you know he had his own gang. He, I think he was a biker before punk came out. Um, you know, and I suppose I took notice what, what, what he was translating to me. It just felt. I got back from from that gig, and and suddenly I'm like look, looking at. I've got to find out who oh, this Adam and the Ants are. You know, so I actually went to the Adam and the Ants gig and missed the first dance gig. But I start. I wanted to start at the Man in the Moon because we'd have all loved to have been there. But yeah. I think it's kind of confused the issue slightly. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, I wish I had, a, in retrospect, I wish I had started it from the, especially if you look at the, the, the introductions in the book, you know, this Popey and all them, like, I'm actually telling you the first Adam and the Ants gig they went to, the marquee yeah. October the 4th, 1977, when the Ants supported the bus cop. So, you know, that, that's when they started going. So, but to try and fit the, the, the criteria of the, of the book company, yeah. I, kind of, I started it at that, and, you know, I had to create a couple of fictional episodes in the book to fill the sex, drugs and rock and roll angle, I suppose. Yeah. So, because what was special about Adam and the Ants at that point for you? Because definitely the Ants had a, a fanatical following. They were just, I mean, they, going to Adam and the Ants, I mean, I'd seen, by the time I saw Adam and the Ants, I'd seen a hell of a lot of punk bands by that point. But there was, there was, I mean, the Adam and the Ants experience was completely different to every other punk, even including Sex Pistols. No, nothing ever came close to it. I mean, the, how the people danced, how people looked, the, the energy of the band, and every, it, it, it was overwhelming. I mean, it was exciting and scary in equal measure. You know, the, 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 it's, 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 it's hard to describe. It's almost like being taken over. You know, you're not in control of yourself. It's, it's, I remember sitting on a bus once and just listening to Adam and the Ants songs. On, I don't would I have had headphones then? I think I probably did, but it would have been them big, massive, what you call it ones. And I just remember, you know, I'm sat on a bus listening to Adam and the Ants. And, uh, and, and 
I'm just like, it feels like I'm experiencing sat in the seat looking out the window and I can feel all the, all, all my body tense up and all the aggression in my head. And, you know, if somebody would have started on, me, or on that bus while I was doing, I could, you know, I could probably react in quite a negative way. You know, it's, it's so, you've got to be there and you've got to, I suppose you've got to catch the buzz. There's been plenty of people, like friends who've been to Adam and the Ants and just thought, well, I thought they were shit. Yeah, it's good. Not everybody got it. Yeah. But, you know, there were rooms, people used to say, people used to turn up just to watch people dancing to Adam and the Ants. You know, when you're watching people rolling about on the floor looking like they're having a nervous breakdown, you know, it, 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 looks, it looks mental. Yeah. You know, it's not, yeah. And then you look at Adam jumping up and down on straight stage like a madman. I mean, nobody was aware of his mental illness at that point. And I'm just wondering whether we were subconsciously picking up on that and kind yeah. of responding in a kind of person having a kind of mental breakdown to the music. Yeah. I'm not even sure Adam would have been aware. I, I don't know. But I mean, you know, a lot of things are subconscious in his art. But we, sort of, we sort of react to things without yeah. actually thinking of them. And, you know, like I say, with Adam's mental health, maybe we were all just kind of reacting to the underlying mental health issues of Adam and how he was responding to his own music and that. But it felt like even in some kind of a mental ward at times, you know. I yeah. mean, you know, a lot of little kids who, you know, you know, there were no big street fighters. You know, when you're in a gig and getting confronted by skinheads, the music actually gave us strength and confidence to confront the people who were trying to, you know, and that's, that, that's strange in itself. You know, like I say, there were certain songs that had triggered off a response, like Falling, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, Red Scab, and the other one, Kick, and stuff like that. And, you know, there were certain songs that had just triggered a violent response if we were, if we were getting met by uh, violence. Yeah. You know, we could, it could be kicking off, and, you know, never trust a man with egg on his face to be playing, and no, no one will do all. And then suddenly he'll just go, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. And, you know, everyone just turns around and stings into everybody. It was, it, the old thing was strange. And it was sad when it all went. Because <laughs> I, I remember being around Justin Simmons' house probably when I was 12 or 13. And he just seen Adam and the Ants the night before. And he was telling me how amazing the band were. And I didn't get it because I, I was 12 or 13 at the time, you know. You weren't a kid because I spoke to Justin just about it. He was the first Ants fan. Yeah, he was the very first Ants fan. Like if you read in Martin Pope's introductory in the book, he's saying when he first went, the only person down the front was Justin throwing yeah. himself about, and they wanted to be throwing themselves about with him. You know, and I remember talking, Justin was telling me he said he, he he was babysitting for somebody. Um, I think it might have been the Roxy Club. I'm not sure his first gig. Um, he was babysitting for somewhere, and then he went. He went down the Roxy afterwards, and Adam and the Ants were playing, and uh, and he said that was it. That that was my band. He stopped going. He stopped. Justin stopped going. I think sometime in '78, and started following the Lurkers. Went moved on to the Lurkers. I don't know why he stopped going. Or you weren't the person who were babysitting for you. No, no. I was living in Scotland. I think at that point. You what, know. Justin in Scotland? No, no. My dad, my dad went to college with Justin's mum and dad. Oh, right. Okay. So we, whenever we came to London, well, generally, if we came to London, we'd call into his house to, for my mum and dad to see his mum and dad. Right. And uh, I think, he, from memory, he had a brother and a couple of sisters, you know, so. Right. And I remember right. having my, my first ever large pizza, which must have been about 18 inches or something like that. You know, and that must have been 78 or 79, something like that. And just like that, that was my first ever uh, big pizza, sharing pizza. Right. See, that's similar to my kebab story in London, you see. So where are you from originally? Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough. That's what I thought. I was wondering where the Middlesbrough yeah. thing came in. You yeah. don't sound like a, a Middlesbrough no. We moved away when I was six to Nottinghamshire. So we lived in Sutton and Ashfield and then moved to Scotland in 78. And for me, that that's when... As soon as I moved to Scotland, it was like everywhere, everybody, all the kids of my age were into punk rock. Right. And it was a place called Livingston, and Livingston had quite a, a reputation for for punk and still has. And, it, you know, it was just ordinary lads had written Sham 69 or The Clash on a T-shirt and had a bit of a rip on it, you know, maybe put some uh, zips onto trousers. So it was all very much DIY. There wasn't a lot of sex 
or boy yeah. fashion going on up there. You know, it was really yeah. do it yourself. And, and suddenly you're in with people the same age as you. You, you get attracted to it because, you know, you, you, you're in a new environment, you know, and uh, you, you want to be part of that environment. But it was also, for me, 78, it was quite fascinating. You know, it, it was, it, it kind of like gave me a voice, I suppose. Well, I think that's what it did for a lot of people. I mean, you know, we didn't have much, our lives were pretty much mapped out for us until punk rock came along. You know, yeah. you'd be following your dad to wherever you, whatever your dad job, you were following them down at Mill on Endit Street or whatever. You know, we'd, you know, we'd, suddenly we've got the band singing that I want to be me and all these other things, Alec in the UK, and suddenly you felt I can be whatever I want to be. Yeah. You know, we were still young and it's still a bit naive, but. It, it set, it set the process in motion for people to become who they want. And, 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 and you know, you didn't have to... See, I remember seeing the Slits ones and they couldn't play. They just got on stage and just made a racket. And I just, I just remember sitting there laughing. You go, How can you get on stage like, and play? But everyone loved them and everyone jumped on stage. And it gives people the confidence for other people to get on that stage and do it. It wasn't yeah. about having a bit, so much ability. It was just about connecting with other kids and stuff, I think. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, Jordan has just passed away. Um, yeah. Do you remember when you first met Jordan? Um, I can't remember the first time. The, 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 the one incident that stands out is when I went in the shop and, I was, and, and she let me off with a quid. Um, and I, I, had a, I had a leather jacket on and my mate had just painted one eat or the bandit on it. And she went, oh, I really like your jacket. And we got talking. And I'd kind of met her a couple of times before, briefly. Um, this was the first time I think I'd talked to her about anything substantial. The shop was, shop was empty. There was only me in it. Uh, so I managed to talk for a bit. She told me about her relatives in Yorkshire and stuff like that a lot. And, uh, and, yeah, and, and I had quite a bit of money on me, but I didn't want to break into it. So I kind of said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretending to be looking for another quid. In my pocket, and she was what's wrong? I said, oh, I'm a pound short. She went, oh, but I, I reminded her about it later on when we, when we all kind of reconnected again. And she went, Oh, can I have, it, can I have that quid back? <laughs> she was lovely with Jordan. I was hoping to, when I interviewed her in Ebden Bridge, we had such a good night. I was hoping to uh, do that more, but then not so long after, I ended up with this head situation, which kind of curtailed me getting out of Bradford so much and you know now that opportunity's gone I were hoping to do more interviews with her and you know all my old friends they're, they're all hanging out all hanging out again in London all people used to knock about with Jordan and you know a lot of, a lot of the Ants crew have been out well I started reconnecting with all them guys in 2005 when when I first got a, a computer and then suddenly everybody from my past on the computer I'm going but the hell man I ain't seen you since well, a lot of, last time I saw a lot of them would have been um, Bow Wow, maybe Chiefs of Relief. So 80s, mid 80s, last time I saw a lot of them. And then suddenly they're all on the internet again. So, you know, re, kind of reconnected with them all, which was great. And but, but last 10 years, sort of Jordan's been knocking about and stuff. I saw her at Rebellion a couple of times. You know, she was just such a really nice person, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. a lot of people seem to like it, but I, I, I had much feedback from the Ants fans themselves, so, which yeah. kind of unnerved me. So, yeah, yeah. It is so, you, you were following the Ants, Adam and the Ants, in the uh, from '78 onwards. I, I started seeing. I first saw him in '78. I wasn't there in '77. So, the first part of the book is more of a, a collaborative effort. With all, with all of it, there's a few, a few of the stories come from other people. So, especially Duncan. Duncan should have written this book because he was there at the beginning, and he's got an absolutely fantastic memory. Uh, but I asked him, I said, do, "Do you want to do? Do you want to do this?" And he went, "Ah, oh, no, didn't want to. I think he was working at the time. Didn't have, have but you know, he's got such a fantastic memory for Adam and the Ants gigs, you know." So it's a bit of a collaborative effort, the first one. But all the gigs happened and the stuff in the gigs happened. Yeah. You know, I just I tried I tried writing the gigs that I wasn't there in uh, I found it really difficult to write what other people might 
do in those situations. Yeah. So I remember it's talking to Duncan about it, and 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 I talked to a couple of others, saying I I, can't, I I'm struggling to write this as as um basically writing it what other people might do when I don't know what other people might do, you know. So then uh, tried to pay, I had to put myself into the story at the gigs that I wasn't at. Just, just so, just so, as as as, it, as I was writing it in my head, it made more sense to me. You know, I could because the writing of the book was relatively easy. It just, it just went, it just, it just flowed from the minute I put the pen down to when I finished the book. I never had to sit there once and think about, well, how can I do this or how can I do that. It just, it just, it was all there. You know, within about I don't know a month, probably not even that long, probably a couple of weeks. You know, it just said. The problem was when do I stop? Every time I read it, I remember I, I, I thought of something else I should have put in there. In end yeah. up, I stopped reading it because it was getting, it was getting bigger every time I read it. <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I wish Duncan had uh, wrote the first part. To be honest, yeah. you know, I was but at that, some of the gigs, but I wasn't at them all. But they, with Adam and the Ants, there are clear landmarks when the band changed. You know, in Kings of the Wild Frontier, nineteen eighty. Yeah, that's when it finished. I, I, I well, did you, it, how did you? How did you perceive the band at that time? Sorry, John. Um, well, I, I, I spoke about it in the first chapter of the first book. You know, yeah. we'd all gone up there, optimistic of the future. You know, we'd we'd seen the Ants Invasion tour. We knew the we knew that Adam needed to have a, get a record contract out of it. They provided three new songs, which which were which were all likable. So we were kind of um, optimistic that whatever new songs were going to come, were going to be all right. But you know what we were confronted with was, oh, you know, it was like pop meets any old Morricone. You know, uh, it just it didn't sound great. It didn't it didn't infuse us at all. The audience had changed. And it's no disrespect to the people who turned up at that gig. Things had just changed by their own volition. You know, I don't think Adam went around saying, I, I, I need a new audience, although it was widely believed by us that Falcon Stewart had wanted us out of the way. Just, you know, if you look at it from the, from the band perspective, on the Ants Invasion tour, they did a 15-day tour and there were six fully blown riots. You know, so if you're trying to get your career off the ground, that kind of thing doesn't really help. You know, yeah. there was more people following the band then than ever. You yeah. know, there was loads, tons of people following the band. You know, um, when by the time we got to Liverpool, you know, things had just changed. And it for me, the, the bit that the bit that finished it for me was that bit where Adam stopped stopped the gig. I can't remember what song they were playing, but it was about four or five songs in. And somebody made a mistake, and he just put his hands up and went, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! We're professional now." And I'm going, well, what have you been doing for the last four years? And he says, we can do better than this. And I thought, it just felt wrong. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've never seen anybody do that ever, yeah. where you just stop the gig because somebody makes a bum note. And, but we didn't embarrass the individual. But he kind of turned to his band and said, come on, we can do better than that. You know, Adam wants to be more professional, understand that. You don't do it like that. And, and I think at that point, we all kind of just walked out. And yeah. that was that was the end of uh, Adam and the Ants, and it felt like the end. It, you know that moment. Just I didn't even have to go home and think about it. I mean, when they played Leeds, Mel and all them lot went over. Gary Ock and Mel went over and spoke to Adam, and he asked where I was at Leeds, and and, and he just said, he said he's just that's it. It's finished. It's gone. Yeah. I did go to all, but you know, I got arrested for that. I didn't even go. Yeah, it just finished. I mean, Adam sent me a letter. Uh, I've still got it, uh, 1981, and it says, uh, thank you for your letter, which I've never sent. Uh, but, the, but the letter was really nice and kind and thanking me for following the band when, when nobody else did. And he didn't have to write that letter. Yeah. You know, they, they, were, they, were, they were famous at that point. This is a year after the Ants Inversion thing. Um, he didn't have to write it. It meant a lot that he did write it, you know, so... I think he cared, but and he had to move on. I think. I think. I think McLaren. What McLaren did to him probably had quite a, a big impact on him choosing to be a pop star. I think he wanted to do better than Malcolm, and that yeah. was probably the best way to do it. You know, be successful as a pop star rather than a, 
independent artist. I don't know. I'm only it's only my opinion, but that's what I've that's what it felt like. Did uh, did you? Because I know Barnsley followed Bye Why Why. Did you move over with Bye Why Why? Well, they all did. I didn't go every gig. He was on the coach with all the Ants crew. All the Ants crew started went on went on that Bow Wow coach. Uh, every time I went to Bow Wow, they never turned up. There were loads <laughs> of gigs. There were bloody Liverpool, Nottingham, Rock City. They didn't turn up. Uh, but even when they came to Bradford, they got there late. You know, and uh, so we ended up just going at nightclub Panache in Bradford. And who was it in Bradford that night as well? The Cure. I remember Robert Smith walking in. They'd just played the university that night. So, yeah, I, saw, I did see Bow Wow quite a few times, but not as much as Barnsley. I mean, they, did, they were all on the coach bus, Chucker and Duncan and Martin and all them lot. They were all on the tour bus with them. So all, all them lot went across to Bow Wow. Obviously, there were Martian dancers as well. You know, we're all the original Ants fans. So, you know, a lot, a lot of people want to see Martian dance. Who were great in their own right. I don't think they were an ant, ant copies band. I think I think they kind of complemented the ants yeah. more than anything. But you know, and that was another band. They had so much potential, and that went in no time as well. But then again, there was all the violence that followed Adam and the Ants followed um, Martian Dance about, and that started with the gig which you're about to read in part two when we when uh, manufactured romance supported him in Sheffield. And I was attacked by the Witten punks because some guy had attacked one of their girls. And I remember seeing it. It happened right next to me. And he looked, he looked identical to me and then just buggered off and left me. And the next minute, we're all fighting each other. So it all started from that. But there was a big feud between Martian Dance and the Witten punks that went on for far too long. And, and, and silly, really. But it kind of like... The, the everything seemed to calm down in the, the, the late 80s, you know, with the introduction of Acid House. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, when I first went, the first rave I went to, I think, was Hacienda. I went to see The Shaman. Um, I think it might have been, I'm not sure if it would drop the first LP or the second LP in Gorbachev, we trust. But I really like, I really like The Shaman, particularly the drop LP. And after the after they had finished, there was a there was an house music party, form party afterwards, and we kind of hung around for about an hour. And I thought this is shite. Uh, so we went over to the boardwalk, which I always preferred. I never liked the hacienda; it was cold, unfriendly, and just grey. I always liked the boardwalk across the road. Um, and I went to a couple of other. I went to an, another one with a few few Leeds fans that I knew had started getting into it. And it didn't. The music didn't do anything for me. Uh, when I started enjoying it, it was around about, I don't know, 1990, maybe, 91, I can't remember. When all the Italian piano things and the techno songs, it sounded like punk rock version of disco music to me, or yeah. disco's version, with, with, with the hard elements, techno elements and, and the screechy vocals and the fast pianos and stuff like that. Yeah, it sounded like a punk version of pop music. Yeah. It was very energising. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I was surprised I liked it. I didn't think I would like it. But I remember taking a knee and, and well, I didn't even have a knee first time I liked it. And I just remember going, I thought, and, and it had loads of punk rock elements to it. You yeah. know, there were loads of DIY aspects. It brought loads yeah. of people together that wouldn't naturally normally meet each other. It had a massive positive effect on the football lot. I remember being somewhere, it might have even been in Manchester, I'm not sure. But I remember a group of Leeds fans and Man United fans were all looking at each other and, you know, that wouldn't happen in a million years. You know, and all say, oh, I hope your team do well tomorrow. And first game of the season when Leeds got promoted back to the uh, first division in 91, I think it was, and we played Everton away. And we'd all been to the warehouse, I think, in Leeds, raving. And we, we all had tickets for the Everton end because one of our friends had relatives there. So, so there were about 20 of us all crashed out in Everton seats and these that 20 Everton fans came and crashed next to us. They'd all been out to the state in Liverpool, which was a yeah. famous club in Liverpool. And we were all sat there, we were all talking and talking about house music, basically. And then this big numpty walked in, he was there, mate, big Evertonian lad. And he's going, oh, let's go sit down there. It's all Leeds fans are down there, it's going to kick off. And that one of these Evertonians turned out, look, mate, football violence, it's finished. He said, these are all Leeds fans, we're all just chilling out, man, relax. And he just turned out and he went wankies and just walked off. <laughs> Neville Southcall sat in his gold complaining. 
Yeah, happy days. Enjoyed it. So when which 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 band did he follow any bands in the nineties? Me? Yeah. No, I'd, I'd gone off at bands by that. I was telling, I was talking to somebody the other day. Um, we used to work at the Bradford University at that point. We were the security, so we used to we used to escort all the bands on the stage, um, and so and that were that were we were like raving up to about ninety five, and then I got bored of it. Um, so I, I wasn't interested in watching bands at that point. I remember on my birthday in nineteen ninety one, um, Nirvana played Bradford University, and and I had to escort them on stage. And uh, Kurt, Kurt came over and says, oh, yeah, you're an old punk rocker. I've heard it's your birthday. Do you fancy having a drink after the match? I went, punk's dead, mate. I'm off out raving. See you later. <laughs> I've still got my pass. I've still got my pass in, in, in there. And I, in, in retrospect, I wish, I'd, I wish I'd have sat down and had a chat with him because he seemed a really nice, quiet lad. Um, yeah. And he seemed really shy and insular. Uh, I didn't really like Nirvana. I just thought it was a racket. To be honest, um, it's really weird. I didn't remember him just crashing through an hour set without stopping. But there's a there's a clip on YouTube of him at Bradford University where he stops and talks to him and introduces the Teen Spirit single. Yeah. Even that sounded different live. That was, you know, I couldn't differentiate between that and any of the other songs. It just sounded like a racket. But my my ears my ears had been turned away from uh, bands at that point. Um, I suppose. Oasis is claim the fame if they haven't. He's putting rock music back on the agenda. Yeah. Um, going back to it, there was another, I remember seeing um, in 84, we, we were watching Chiefs and Leaf, which was part Adam and the Ants and Paul yeah. Cookouts and his pistols. And when we, who is it supported them? Uh, Stone Roses supported them. We saw them in 1984 at the uh, Embassy Rooms. And I remember that gig because I don't know what happened. We got there early. And I don't know if somebody were handing out flyers for Stone Roses or some of them. Everybody was talking about them. So somebody was plugging them. Uh, and because usually in London, people usually just watch the band they've gone, they've gone to see. Yeah, not, really, not everybody watches the support bands, but we all watch the Stone Roses and I can still remember them in my, in my I can still visualise them on stage. I can't remember who was who. There was one guy with a quiff and a cardigan and leather trousers and, and, uh, and pointed brothel creepers. They looked like people of the time. So, you know, a combination yeah. of punk rock, rock uh, rockabilly and, you know, goths. You know, that's how I remember them looking. And we watched for about 10, 15 minutes and they were quite bad. So we just went back to the bar. But I think, I think that was about their fourth or fifth gig in some rock. Yeah. But obviously, obviously they went on and became, when they came back at the end of the 80s, the, Nothing like the work that we saw, but yeah, you know, purple. See, well, I, I moved to Manchester in '83 and I lived there for a year, and that's what got me away from punk rock, really. You know, I still knew some bands and followed them, but everybody listened to hip hop and electro and soul music. So, so slowly in that year, your, your, your musical tastes started to change. and you know what we were saying about house music hip-hop was very diy and uh, do it yourself at the, the beginning yeah. you know and that that's and i because I, I had thought about it it was kind of like when i was into punk that's what people you know of the streets were listening to and the same as manchester that that's what the kids were listening to at that time hip-hop soul funk electro we liked all that hip-hop when it first came out so like yeah. 1981 82 in London, it was be Bow Wow really, really, really kind of endorsed all that sound as well. Matthew, I mean, the Chiefs of the Leaf were a bit, were a bit like, and they were doing it when it before Radio Speed, whatever they call them. I can't who did the hip hop rock crossover. I can't remember the name now. Run DMC. There were them, but there were another band. There were a metal band, weren't there as well? Were it Radio uh, Rio somebody of them? I don't yeah. think there was another band that were doing rock music and hip hop combined, and the one, the one sort of hip hop guys. Can't yeah. remember the name of them now. I mean, um, you had the Beastie Boys were doing that crossover punk. I think it was a traditional rock band. So okay. I can't remember the name of them. They, kept, they were doing it around about the same time as Chiefs of the Leaf. I don't know who came first. I mean, yeah. um, but I mean, Matthew and all them lot really, and Duncan and that lot really loved all that hip hop. But we liked it all. You know, the Grandmaster Flash and. 
all that early stuff because it was all really positive. You know, it was like black punk rock. They were singing about things that really mattered in, the, in their environments and it all had a positive message. And then somehow we ended up with all this slap you bitch and get your AK-47 nonsense. Yeah. You know, and yeah, it's... one into that part of it. So you, you, you... The two books you've written about Adam and the Ants... Is there a third book? Do you think you'll you'll do another one? What it is for years, I've always managed to keep. I've got absolutely loads of stories written down in, in maybe a page. They're not very well written. They're just basically a reminder of, of events that I can polish up later in day. There's, there must be about I must have about two or three hundred stories. There's loads of football ones. Uh, I'm a bit wary of going down the football route because those football hooligan books are shite. I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's, everyone's trying so hard to, to, to you know, convince the reader that they're the hardest people in the world. That they actually, when you actually read them, they, they sound pathetic. Yeah. It's no, nobody's Superman, you know. I'm thinking, of, you know, so I'm, I'm, in my football stories, I'm, I mean, I, I've got a couple of stories in the lead service crew book. Um, I didn't even want to get involved with that, but the money was going to go to. Uh, Went to the because it were all my our friends who got attacked at Galatasaray. It was all the Leeds and the Bradford lads who got yeah. attacked, uh, you know, and I, and they never got any money for the families, or they didn't even get any justice. So the kind of I, I got involved because they were trying to make some money for the families of people who christened who had died. So that was the only reason that I, I come to. But my stories weren't about fighting. You know. I'll try to bring. Uh, I mean, the well, the Man City one was probably the scariest day I've had at football. That was well scary. Main Road, nineteen seventy-seven. Uh, probably the biggest casualty day we've ever had watching Leeds. Um, but I try to put. There's no humour in them. All the camaraderie's taken out of it. All the humour. I mean, football's not just. You know, how many people? Well, I don't know. But a lot of people do that. I got involved in a lot of trouble at Leeds, and I think back on it now, and it just feels like what we were doing. We were like children going to football and people yeah. were dying and getting maimed and stuff like that to watch sport. It sounds bizarre, but at the time it just felt normal because it was happening every week. Yeah. So, you know, I've got loads of funny stories about football. There must be, I must have about 50 of those, but I'm a bit, I'm a bit wary about doing that, doing yeah. a football book. Um, I mean, even though the Adam and the Ants books read a bit like football hooligan books, to be honest, but you know, I've tried to try to change the, the tone of it slightly. Um, there's a possibility of a King Kurt book. Um, the book company want me to do more stories. And I've got, I've got quite a few stories of gigs, you know, Bow Wow gigs, uh, Meteors, uh, Monochrome set. Loads of, there's quite a lot of bands that I used to go watch. Um, but King Kurt's a possibility. Well, I mean, their gigs are absolutely fantastic. You know, when I started, when I first started watching them in '82, I think I'd fallen out with Paul Fennick out of Meteors because I was going, I was going out with his ex-girlfriend, which caused a, a rift between us. Um, so, well, it, all the original Meteors fans are sending up to go to watch King Kurt. So, uh, what don't really want to talk about why we all fell out with Paul, but anyway. Um, yeah, and we're going to King Kurt, and they, they were just hilarious. They, 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 they're like, they were like my best friends. Not, I, I got closer to them more than, than any other band. Just, I used to be to share, live together. We'd go out socialising together regularly. I even worked for them a couple of times. And uh, we had so much fun. Absolutely so much fun. I mean, it was every night. That would be an interesting book. I mean, they were rock and roll. I mean, they smashed the book. Didn't have any money to pay for it. <laughs> you know, there's, you got all these rock and roll bands smashing up hotels and stuff like that, and the lawyer comes along and, and gets some bail. King Kurt were doing it. Didn't have a penny. Didn't have a penny in the pocket. But, oh, I, saw them, so I saw them once in 83 in uh, Edinburgh at the nightclub. All right. And they were, they were pretty riotous from from memory. I think they just brought fun. I, I never listened to King Kurt at all, ever. But um, I don't know why, you know, the songs were great. Musically, they weren't anywhere near my favourite band. They were my favourite 
band as friends and the and, the, and my favourite band for the amount of fun we've had. I mean, they were it was just joy. And when 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 I got went to those first one or one gigs in Clapham in '82, I remember walking through the door. I had all seditionist clothes on, and somebody poured a bucket of glue all over me. <laughs> and I went, "What the fuck are you doing, man?" You know, and and everyone ended up just laughing about it. And uh, I thought, and then when they started playing gigs outside of London, I thought, oh, this is going to this is going to be, you know, I'd, I'd expect looking at my Adam and the Ants experience when we went on tour with Adam and the Ants and all the trouble we encountered. I'm thinking, imagine King Kurt turning up at some of these gigs and all these skinheads and other people turn up, want to confront you, and then we're throwing buckets of glue at them and in dead animals and shit like that. I thought they're going to get murdered, and and. It never happened. I don't remember the only tr- the only gig I can remember where there was trouble was Birmingham, again Tin Can Club, you know, and uh, everyone just got it immediately, and it, and it just everybody saw it was just a laugh, and it it was absolutely tremendous. I know they I know they got a bit of trouble later on after I stopped going regularly uh, around about eighty four or whatever it was at Liverpool. I think they got attacked in a couple of other places. Um, but yeah, I think I went to every every King Kirk gig from '82 to '84, except for one gig in in, in Zurich, which I couldn't go. But yeah, they, they were a joy. To, oh, we had so much fun. And that'll be an interesting book to to write. I've got a lot of King Kirk stories down. Uh, a couple of other people close to the ba- close to the band as well have hinted at maybe doing a book. Uh, there's a, another guy on Facebook who's actually written a King Kirk book which kind of highlights their history from when they first started uh, to, to, when they, to when they finish. But there's no actual personal stories in there. So we were yeah. talking about maybe combining my personal stories with, with his factual, well, they're all, it's all factual, but with his, 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 his uh, band information and, and band, band, what is it, history or whatever, and interject it with, and plus I know, Everybody else who's got a King Kurt, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a few st- other stories that other people could uh, put up with. So that's a possibility, King Kurt. Yeah. Thank you, Jonna Johnson, author of Blood, Sweat, Leather and Tears. Uh, see you soon. Thanks for having me on. Take care, man. <laughs>